Well, good morning, everyone. It's a joy to be here with you all as we get to continue in worship as we open the Word of God. Uh, here at King's, we have been going through the book of James. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to go ahead and pull those out and turn to James chapter 2. We'll be in verses 14 through 26. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one in the pew in front of you. And we're going to be on page 951 of that one today. And also, if you just don't have a Bible at all, we would encourage you to please take that with you. Uh, we, we hold fast to the Word of God. We believe these words make us wise for salvation. It's a dependable foundation for your life, so please take that with you. Today, though, uh, we are getting to what would probably be known as the problem passage of James. If, you've, if you know James, if you've read through before, there's that section that gets really confusing. And today, we get to try to tackle it. And, and let me kind of paint the picture for you. If you have uh, your copy of God's Word open, look at verse 24 with me of chapter 2. It says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And now, on the screen, we'll have a verse that seems to directly contradict that. And it's Romans 3.28. This is Paul, and he says, For we hold... That one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So Paul says, you're justified by faith alone without works. And then James says, no, you're not justified by faith alone. You're justified by works as well. And so these two verses, right, we look at them and we say these are complete opposites. The Bible, it must contradict itself. And if the Bible contradicts itself, can we have any trust in Scripture? If, if the Bible is supposed to make us wise for salvation, but the Bible can't even agree on how we're supposed to receive salvation, can we then have any confidence that we will ever be saved? If we were to stand before God and face His judgment, can we have confidence that we would receive grace and mercy rather than wrath and judgment. And thinking about God's final judgment, I think is actually what motivates James to write this section. Right? We split up uh, our, our passages with verses and with chapters, and we go week to week. But last week, we finished with verses 12 and 13. And James there, he's saying, so speak and act as those who will be judged under the law. So I think... With God's judgment in mind, he then begins to write and give us an example of what true saving faith looks like so that we can be confident that our faith is real and true and before God we can be saved. Think of it this way. Have you ever bought maybe a, a plane ticket off of a third-party website? It was a little sketchy, but it was really cheap. All of a sudden you get a little nervous and you start thinking, is this real? Will they let me on the plane? So maybe you call the airline and you say, hey, I just bought a ticket. I want to make sure that my seat is, is saved on your plane. And they go, okay, yeah, well, all of our plane tickets, they start with 4,000 and there's 12 numbers. And you look down and you go, well, mine starts with a Q and there's a bunch of letters. And you might be a little nervous, right? Or perhaps you look down and you go, whew, it's 4,000 and it's 12 numbers. I'm good. And they say, sweet, we've got your reservation. We'll see you on the plane. Right? Can we have confidence that our faith is real? This faith that is meant to save our souls for all eternity. 
I think James helps us understand this. Though this passage is very difficult to understand and interpret, I think it is actually a comfort to us. Because we'll see today that, that James, his main point, what he's trying to get across, and our big idea for today is that true saving faith, it's evidenced by works. The way he goes about this, it's a little confusing, but we're going to work to kind of mesh these together. And so maybe, to confuse you a little bit more, I want to paint the picture for justification by faith alone. What we hold true and, and what we believe. Right? There's a lot of difficult things to interpret in the Bible. Some of them are tertiary issues of your view on Revelation. But the doctrine of salvation is a primary issue. Holding true to this faith is something that is worth risking your life for. So we want to be sure we understand this. So here's a couple of verses that are going to make James more confusing. But we need to see the whole picture. So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. In Romans 4, he says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And finally, Galatians 2.16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also, have been, who have believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Brothers and sisters, we hold these to be absolutely true. The only way you can receive salvation is by faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. Right? We are all sinners. We are all separated from God because of our sin. And our only hope is to place our faith in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If you are here today and you have never believed that, then you will face God as your judge rather than as your friend and father. But if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you can rejoice because you will meet God as your friend. Yet, some days, we can be prone to doubt, right? And wonder, do we actually have faith? Faith that saves. And here is when I think James helps, though it's confusing. So now let, let's turn to our passage. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 26. As we're going through this, if you have the uh, scripture journal, I'd encourage you, maybe underline works and faith. We're going to say that word a lot. And it might get confusing, but let's work through this. So verse 14. What good is it, my brothers... If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that a faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And this scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I, I ask you that you give us the humility, God, to approach this text of Scripture. God, but would you also just give us clarity? Would we... Uh, work diligently, God, to understand what, what, what you are saying through your words, that we may have confidence in our salvation. Lord, help us understand this today. God, help us, um, yeah, just leave encouraged as we see examples of true saving faith in other people's lives. Would we seek to emulate that in our own lives? It is in your name we pray. Amen. So first, we're going to quickly work through uh, this passage of James, kind of see the context. What is he saying? And then once we understand him better, I think then we can really seek to reconcile what Paul and James are saying. All right? But as we go, I, it's, it's important to realize, if you underlined how many times there are the words faith and works, right, that James, he's not pitting these two things against one another. He is not saying there's faith, there's works. We're comparing, we're contrasting those two. In James's mind... Faith and works are inseparable. What James is actually contrasting and comparing in this passage is dead faith and saving faith. Right? So he says, dead faith is faith that doesn't have any works. There is no fruit. And he's going to hold up two examples of that. And then he says, there's two examples of true saving faith. And that faith is evidenced through works of obedience. James, he's not saying, hey, you're immature in your faith, so you need to add more works so that you can be sure of salvation. He, he's not saying that. He's saying you don't have works because you don't have faith. Right? The issue here, it's the root of faith. And so James is going to hold up not faith and true faith, dead faith and saving faith. So first, two examples of dead faith. These are from verses 14 through 19. And first, we see a type of dead faith, it's useless. This is in verses 14 through 17, where it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works? And so here's someone who, who they just have a, a verbal um, affirmation of, hey, we believe this. But that's never affected their heart. And he says, is that any good? And the answer, the implied answer is, is no, that, that's useless, worthless faith. And he asks another question, can that faith save him? And here's something important to note, right? James doesn't ask, can faith save somebody? 
Because the answer to that question is yes, faith saves. James asks, can that faith save, right? That faith referring to this useless faith of just a verbal affirmation of something. So, James is, is, is holding up this, this fake faith, but using the word faith. So, it's going to be a little confusing. We have to understand which faith is James talking about. Here, he's saying it's not faith. It's dead faith. And so, can that faith save someone? No. And he holds up an example. It's like someone uh, who says oh, they're a Christian, but a brother or sister in the church is in need. And this person is never moved to lift a finger to help them. All he does is another verbal admission of, of something. He just says, well, I hope you get better. And he does nothing to help them. Will that word help that person whatsoever? And the answer is, is no. And so simply saying, well, I believe about Jesus, that is not saving faith. That is dead, useless faith. Another type of dead faith would be described as demon faith. And this picks up in verse 18, where someone, it's this nameless objector, right? He raises a question someone might pose. Someone might say, well, okay, you have faith, and, and I have works. What he's doing is he, he's trying to separate the two. And James, again, right, he says, you can't separate faith and works or acts of obedience. To simply acknowledge that Jesus is, is the Son of God, or that God is one, is not enough for salvation. Here he's uh, referencing the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. It's a famous phrase where, uh, that the Israelites or Jews would say every day. It starts with, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so James is saying, look, you can say that all day long, but if you don't have any life change, then you don't have real faith. To simply believe that the Shema is true, that God is one, that God is, is reigning over all. He is the judge. That's no different than a demon. Right? The demons believe that God is one. There's not a single demon who's an atheist. They all have better theology than we do. They, they are not confused by James and Paul. They get it. Yet, they don't have saving faith. Because the Shema continues after Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it then says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. The demons know truth, but they can't be obedient to love the Lord. It says they shudder. Right? One, out of fear for judgment. We see when Jesus came and he casted out demons, they knew he was the Holy One of God and they were scared. But this word shudder, it's also like a bristling up, like a cat, right? It's, it's revulsion. They see who God is, and they are not stirred to love or thankfulness or gratitude whatsoever. They shudder at that truth. To love the Lord and to take to heart his commands and to seek to obey him with our lives, that is what true faith looks like. So now we get to see two examples of this true saving faith in the lives of Abraham and Rahab. So first in Abraham, this is verses 20 through 23. Verse 21 talks about how it says, Abraham, was he not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And we'll come back to this phrase in detail of justified by works. 
But first, notice that uh, then in, in verse 22, that as he's doing this, James says that his faith was active along with his works. This comes from the story in Genesis 22 when uh, God tests Abraham's faith. And out of Abraham's faith, he is obedient. So faith was there. It's past tense. And he then says that because he was obedient, his faith was completed by his works. That's in verse 22. And we've seen that word completed before. If you're in James, you can just flip over one chapter to chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And we see the same word. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That word complete, it's this idea of, of being mature, of growing. And so through obedience, Abraham's faith, the roots of his faith were deepened and strengthened and matured and completed as he stepped out and walked in obedience. He was willing to offer his son on the altar, trusting that God would be faithful to his promises no matter what. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19, it records the faith of Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The verse 23, it says that uh, the scripture was fulfilled. The scripture that's fulfilled is, is from Genesis 15, where Abraham believes God when it said that through Isaac your offspring shall be named. And so Abraham believed that, and we know that that belief was true because of Genesis 22. Think, think for a second, right? If, if we have Genesis 15, where it says that Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness, and then we hear the story of Abraham with Hagar fathering Ishmael, if the story of Abraham stopped there, we might be a little confused. Did Abraham actually have faith? Right? It, God said that he would make his descendants as numerous as the stars, and he would do it through this, this son of Sarah. And then all of a sudden, Abraham goes out and fathers a son through a different woman in his own efforts. Is that actual faith? But we see a few chapters later in Genesis 22 that this, his faith is proven to be true. His faith was fulfilled because he was willing to trust that God would uh, provide descendants through Isaac, even if that required God to raise his son from the dead. And says that through his obedience, Abraham was called a friend of God. And this is in direct contradiction to the demons who shudder and are revolted at who God is. And then we have our, our final example for someone who has saving faith. And this is the story of Rahab the prostitute. And I think she is held up because she is really like the complete opposite of who Abraham is. Right? Abraham is the patriarch of Israel. He is the father of many nations, the father of our faith. And so it's easy to look at him and say, well, of course he had saving faith. He's the father of our faith. But we also have the example of Rahab, who was a Gentile, right? So salvation is now, it's not just for Jews, it is for Gentiles. 
Salvation is not just for man, it is for men and women. Salvation is not just for those who are well-respected in the community, it is also for those who have made mistakes and live in sin and have sinful uh, professions and are not looked on well by culture. Salvation is for everyone. And this, the story of Rahab, it's probably not as familiar to you as the story of Abraham, but as the Israelites are entering into the promised land, they're going to the city of Jericho, and she hides some spies that Joshua sends out. This is Joshua 2, 8 through 11. It says, Before the men lay down, she came up to, the, to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. Rahab had heard the stories of who this God was, and she knew that she had no hope in the men of the city of Jericho. So she was willing to risk her life, right, to hide these spies. If they were found out, she would have been killed most likely. But she risked that life and, and put all of her trust solely upon God that he could provide for her. And she, too, is recorded in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, where it says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. James concludes this section with verse 26, again saying that our works and, and faith, they're inseparable. Right? If you go to Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, where so many people are listed, it always says, by faith, someone did something. Right? Their faith is active in what they're doing. And I think a lot of this, right, Hebrews 11, what we just talked through, it's kind of easy to understand. I, I get it. We even talked about don't be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. We should live out our faith. Makes sense. But Caleb, you skipped over the phrase justified by works in verses 21, 24, and 25. You even skipped over verse 24, and that's the one I have all the questions about. And so now with this context of James, right, seeing dead faith and saving faith, let's try to understand what he's saying in verse 24 and how that relates with what Paul is saying in Romans 3 and elsewhere. And as we approach this, again, I, I want to come with all humility that this has been a difficult thing for thousands of years now, right? Martin Luther didn't like this passage. It was hard. And so to kind of say, oh, we figured it out, like, I don't want to say, oh, we're all smarter than Martin Luther. It's, it's easy, right? We do believe that we can still have a well-founded faith, but let's recognize there, there's difficulty here. Also, that being said, this is a very long debate, and we can't possibly cover it all. We could, I think we could have multiple sermons just on this one verse. So I'm going to try to do this succinctly, but simply. If you have any questions, I would love to talk more about this because it truly is a very important issue. But now let, let's turn our attention to verse 24 and ask, is justification by faith alone? Or is it by faith and works, like James says here? And as we get to difficult situations and, and debates or differences, it's always important to define what terms we're using. Right? I could say, I'm not a big fan of apple. And someone might go, well, that's my favorite fruit. I really like apples. And I go, well, I do too. I'm talking about laptops. I don't like Apple laptops. I like PCs. 
right? So there's, there's one comedic example. We, we have uh, discrepancies with the word football. Is that American football where we literally don't touch the ball with our feet ever? Or is it soccer, which you use with your feet the whole time, right? We have to define our terms. And sometimes a single word can be used to mean different things. This happens in Scripture as well. Paul says in, in Romans 1 that Jesus was born of David according to the flesh. But later on in chapter 7, he uses the word flesh to describe his sin nature. So if we look at that and we take, well, flesh means sin nature, does that mean that Jesus was born with a sin nature? N- no, right? Jesus being born in the flesh means he was born in the flesh as a, as a person. So we need to understand our context and understand what people are using in their terms so we can see what they're saying. So we're going to look at some key words that are used here and define what James means with this word and then what, James, or what Paul means. So let's look at works, faith, and justified. First, the word works. Paul often uses this word works to mean obedience to the law to earn salvation. While James often uses the word works to mean obedience to God out of love. Right? So often, Paul uses the term works in a negative way. Whereas throughout this whole book of James, works are viewed in a positive light. It's what we should be doing. Paul sees works as people's own efforts to earn favor and salvation from God. But James sees works as external effort, but they just reflect the internal reality of our salvation. Right? Our deeds, they're an overflow for what has already been done for us. We have received the mercy of Jesus Christ, therefore we should perform merciful deeds of charity for those in need around us. So they're often used in different ways. Let's look at faith. Paul looks at faith and says, faith is our sole means of salvation. And honestly, James would say, yes, I agree with that. But in verse 24, which is the confusing verse, James means that faith, this is faith that is alone, it is dead, useless, and demonic. And this is where context is so important. Because to start the sermon and read James 2.24 and Romans 3.28, you go, that makes no sense. But to know our context, right, we can see that, that James has been using the word faith to both describe dead faith and true saving faith. And so which is he using here in verse 24? Well, let's look. It says, you see. Who is the you? Is that anybody in the church? And if that's the case, then yeah, we have a contradiction. But I think this you is pointing back to the person in verse 18 who tried to separate faith and works, right? And so that's why James says uh, you are not justified by faith alone. He's talking about this, this dead faith that is just an intellectual assent and acknowledgement that, yep, I believe about Jesus Christ. There's no heart change. There's no life change. There's no repentance over sin. So the faith that he is defining, or he's using that word to define, is dead, unrepentant, uneffective faith. 
Paul doesn't always make this distinction because I think he naturally includes obedience to God when he thinks about faith. Douglas Moo, he has a a really good definition for, for what Paul means when he uses faith. He says that faith is a dynamic, powerful force through which the believer is intimately united with Christ, his Lord. And since faith is in a Lord, right, a master, the need for obedience to follow from faith is part of the meaning of the word for Paul. Paul sees Christ as our only possibility of salvation. And the only way we can receive the salvation is through faith alone. But if Christ has redeemed your life from judgment, then he is your Lord and master. And this is why Paul frequently says that he is a slave to Christ. Because he recognizes that to believe in Jesus is to surrender your life and to walk in obedience to him. Yet the only way to have him as your savior is through faith alone, right? So finally, let's look at the difficult word, justified. Paul uses that term, justified, to say that that means to be declared innocent. And James, in this context, seems to be using the word justified to mean to be proven to be true. Paul is concerned with the initial point of salvation when he discusses justification by faith. When we are justified before God, it is as if we're in a heavenly courtroom where God gives us a sentence of not guilty. We are blameless and innocent before God. We have been justified and made right, and this occurs when we believe in Jesus Christ by faith. And James would agree with that statement because he quotes it in Genesis 15:6. He says, yes, Abraham was justified. He was made righteous when he believed. But years later, how do we know that he actually believed? We don't get to be in this heavenly courtroom and actually hear God's declaration of innocence over us. So how do we know in the meantime? How do we have confidence that our faith, our belief, will result in salvation at the final day of judgment? And so he uses justified to describe that our faith is shown to be true, it's proven to be true through acts of obedience. And I, I don't think this is a stretch or verbal acrobatics to try to make this work. Right? We often use the word justified to describe something that's well-founded or it's true. Right? If on a Tuesday night I have a teammate come up to me and they go, we're playing basketball, they go, Caleb, you need to do a better job at guarding Chris. He keeps on scoring. That critique would be well-founded because it's impossible to stop Chris from scoring. Right, But thinking about our own lives, right, what would give evidence in our lives for someone to be well-founded or justified in saying that we are friends of God? Or asked another way, what would justify God to say at the end of your days, well done, good and faithful servant? A mere intellectual agreement that Jesus died for people's sins is not enough. To say you have received Jesus but have no evident life change is to be like the servant who received a talent from his master and buried it and did nothing with it. Our faith, it must be justified or proven through obedience to God. 
So finally kind of putting it all together, justified by works. Paul says that's impossible. The only way to be declared blameless before God is through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And I think James would say, yes, that is true. However, with his definitions, justification by works is necessary. He says, yes, we're initially saved by faith alone, but that faith, it never remains alone. Right? We must be moved to good works out of love and obedience to our Heavenly Father. By this, we know we have salvation. Our faith is proven true by good deeds flowing out of love to God. We must be justified by works so that we can have confidence in our salvation. And I think Paul would also agree with this. And he said, yes, of course, faith, it must lead to life change in believers. And so though these verses are complicated, I think both authors agree on major points of salvation. And I want to support that in Scripture. I think both would say salvation is a work from God, number one. We saw in Ephesians 2.9 that this is a gift of God. It's Him working. James 1.18, it said that it's God's own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. So God is the one who is making a way for salvation. They both agree with that. I think they both agree that salvation, our initial belief in Christ, is by faith alone. We saw that in Galatians 2.16 earlier. We already read that. But then James also says in 121 that we should receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. So we must receive this by faith. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he also says, Brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith. Our job is to believe. But finally, both of them would agree that faith cannot remain alone. Salvation is from God. The only way we receive salvation is by faith, but faith it never remains alone. Right, James, that's what this whole book is about. Don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of it. And there are countless examples from Paul where he agrees with this. I want to list a few. Galatians 5, 6. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith, makes sense, working through love. Paul, your whole thing is, is faith alone. And he goes, yeah, that's how you're saved, but your faith must then work through love. Romans 1.5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. So faith, true faith in God, leads to obedience. Two others, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3, it says, We give thanks to God always for all of you. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 2. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Both of these guys would agree that faith must work in our lives. Faith and works, they're inseparable. We need to be guarded against dead faith that is a mere assent of who God is. Our salvation must be proven to be true through deeds of obedience. 
This is how we can then have confidence when we meet Jesus as our Savior and friend. So to wrap everything up, though, I want to guard us against two things, right, that Paul and James are both fighting against. First, if we walk away from this sermon with just intellectual knowledge for how to make James and Paul agree, we've missed the point of this passage. Yes, we need to see that Scripture, it's not contradictory. And it helps to see that we have a well-founded faith. But if James were to come to you today and say, hey, did you see those commands I wrote? And you said, yes, and I now know how you don't contradict Paul. He would go, and did you do anything about them? Right? Our lives must display works that are in keeping with our salvation. They're acts of obedience that represent the character of God to the world. The book of James is full of examples for what the Christian life should look like. And so we should take these seriously, right? We should examine our own lives and see how are we caring for the needy? Do I show partiality in my life? I'd ask you as we continue in this series to examine each command from James and examine your heart and earnestly pray and ask, God, are you leading me to step out in faith Faith working through love and serve in this way. Folks, there, there's desperate need all around us. And we as the body can work through faith to meet those needs. So we should take this warning seriously that people, they can have dead faith, those who claim to be Christians. But this leads to the second and final thing to be cautious of. I also... Don't want you to leave here asking, have you done enough good works to earn salvation? This is a whole topic we could dive into very deeply. But very simply, I want you to see what does it mean to work for God? John 6, 29, it says this. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. Folks, here's what we should do. Believe in him who he has sent. We're called to believe in Jesus Christ. He is our only hope of salvation. He is the only way that we can receive eternal life instead of eternal judgment. And when we grasp that, when we understand that we are inheritors of boundless grace, of infinite mercy, of everlasting life, of an imperishable inheritance, then how can our lives not be changed? We are children of of the most high God, and we should bear a family resemblance to who he is, and that should look radically different from the world. Our obedience, it should flow out of love. Guilt and our effort to prove ourselves, it may lead you to step of obedience, but it can never sustain you. You may move overseas as a missionary because you feel guilty, but all human efforts will fail when trials come. What grows and becomes steadfast is faith. That is a, a solid foundation. It completes us and matures us, faith working through love. So, fall on Jesus Christ. See how he has loved and served the world, and let's seek to reflect that in our own life. And in closing, I want to read Colossians 1, and then I just want to pray this over us as well. This is Paul again writing. He says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. This is the gospel. We were separated. But Christ, he, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death 
in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, righteous, blameless, justified before God. But this is if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Would you pray with me as we seek to remain stable and steadfast in this faith? Heavenly Father, God, God, we admit, as we already sang today, that all we have is Christ. God, the, the sole uh, means of salvation is only through the finished work of Jesus Christ. God, I, I pray that um, here uh, in, in the lives of everyone today, that God, we, we only uh, find any sense of security in, in your finished work. Lord, would we cast our cares, cast our burdens, God, put all of our faith in you and your finished work alone. But then, God, I pray that as that faith takes root, God, we would then live lives of obedience. God, would you give us the strength to continue in this faith with one another? Would we be stable and steadfast as we build our lives upon your word? God, would we never shift from the hope of the gospel? God, that you save sinners and you are coming again. We long for that day. Lord, would we be found faithful until the end? God, justified proven to have true faith through works of obedience out of love so that we might hear well done my good and faithful servant is in your precious name that we pray amen